AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. The WordPress attack is interesting because WordPress is one of the most popular sort of blogging platforms. All right, so we have a story about an issue with WordPress. What'd you think? I, I thought it was kind of interesting that, you know, they picked this up from scanning, right? Mm -hmm. But really what it is looking for is incomplete installations. Yeah. yeah, you know, we see that a number of us, you know, we sort of set up the WordPress, you know, start it, but then don't finish the installation. Give up. <laughs> Give up, right? So, and the thing is, the fact again that it's going up to that end user who wants to blog, you know, who wants to set up a WordPress right. server, but then you don't complete the installation. You start this installation process, you've changed your mind, it's too long, you have so much information to put in there, you sort of leave it, or you just downloaded it, you want to come back to it and sort of configure it later. But what the bad guys are doing is, doing the job for you. What happens is the, the bad guy, he finishes your installation mm -hmm. for you. Yep. And he configures it the way he wanted. They're calling it a, a WP setup attack mm -hmm. because really the, the attacker is setting up the, the WordPress blog for you mm -hmm. uh, with some backdoors, some scripting, you know, all, a bunch of known vulnerabilities that, mm -hmm. you know, you would protect yourself against. Yeah. You know, they're leaving open. Uh, leaves you vulnerable for a number of existing attacks. But, uh, you know, definitely interesting Interesting that that you don't think that you know, just starting installation is, is leaving you open to anything, but mm -hmm. this is one of those new vectors that we're seeing. So. Yeah, and, you know, we see especially, you know, sort of when we set up these sort of blogging, you know, uh, things, it, it's quite a long process until you're sure that you want to finish that installation and you think as an end user that nobody's going to come after this. Not only will the bad guy, you know, go in and, you know, put in credentials, it might link to a back-end database that you don't want, you know, oh, to be but, linked and to. And here's the other thing with a blog site like this. There's a web server. Yep. There's a database. It's all you know, this it's infrastructure set up for you. Exactly. It's yeah. it's a mini little, you know, honey hole of, yeah. of, of you know, attack vectors for, an, uh, you know, malicious users. All the vulnerabilities that normally would be patched and controlled you know, because the malicious actor is the one doing the installation, he's going to leave all that open so he can get in and do whatever you know, he wants to, really. So how easy is it to fix it? You know, I think there is a patch. You can uninstall the, the WordPress mm -hmm. altogether. That removes it. Uh, they did put a newer version out. So it's not the most difficult to mm. fix yep. yourself from, but I think it's awareness, you know. Yeah. You know I don't know that a user would know that somebody completed their install mm -hmm, unless mm -hmm. there were signs of, yep. but you know, this is what we see, you know, there's people taking over your machines and a lot of users never even are aware of it. So, right. so for all of us into social blogging, we might want to go back and yeah, check you, our WordPress. <laughs> or use somebody else's blog. <laughs> You're <laughs> yes. better off being a guest. Yes. So, <laughs> so. That's a good point. Thank you. Uh, thank you. When was the last time you'd go monitor your WordPress account? You've forgotten about it. So that is what the hacker is going to go after. Be aware of what, you know, what processes are running and, you know, just have a real level of ownership of what's going on with your machine. Sure. So you have something to tell us about SOAP and back to our app development days. Yeah. Brian Krebs posted a story about a vulnerability with G-SOAP which is a library used 
really prominently, but specifically with uh, security cameras. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is an IoT device. This is Brian Krebs. Brian Krebs really only usually keys in on really important things. I always think it's interesting when Brian Krebs picks up on something because his expertise really kind of gives some weight to an issue like this. So I think based on what we've seen with uh, security cameras, you know, what does that make you think of? Mirai, mm -hmm. the Mirai botnet. So um, this is another vulnerability. It's an open source library, GSOAP. Uh, it's on, you know, probably millions of security cameras. Mm -hmm. um, so Brian Krebs, he always, he, he gets real into it. He, he did an investigation. He found out how many uh, camera vendors acknowledge the problem, if any of them have patched. I think the main one did patch. Um, but, you know, really interesting for me, you know, I, I, when something comes up that's an IoT device, that really kind of raises my, mm -hmm. my radar that, you know, this is something to be aware of just because, you know, what we've seen with botnets using IoT devices, it's really, it's an explosion, you know, the, yeah. the Mirai botnet is so powerful. I mean, Krebs in particular, he, his site was taken down by Mirai last year. So, uh, if of everybody, he, he's definitely aware. You know, it really piqued my interest because I know how sort of volatile this space is with IoT devices, security cameras. This is an open source library. So it's, it's sort of a, you know, all the, the telltale signs of this being a real problem. But yeah, I mean, this is an interesting one. Um, you know, what did you think about the, the vulnerability itself? So I think, you know, like going back to your, you know, topic about IoT being so nascent in terms of its security, right? And you think about this vulnerability in your camera. When was the last time you thought about patching your camera right. or changing the default admin password on right. it, right? So these are things that are going to be exploited. And because IoT is so new and the volume at which we are deploying IoT devices across the different organizations, and we as consumers seem to be so accustomed to using these IoT devices now. And I think the vulnerability itself is going to have probably a widespread impact and how this could in turn you know, be used on a, in a larger attack. It's just a camera, why is somebody after that, right? A camera is a connected device now. It's an entry point into your network. The attention to detail on these devices mm -hmm. needs to be there. Uh, you need to treat IoT devices like computers, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just a... Yeah, that's interesting, yeah. Yeah, it's not just a thermostat. It's not just a, you know, Wi-Fi enabled gateway. These are computers, you know, the same way you have a laptop. Your computer needs to be patched. It needs to be updated. Uh, it needs to have custom passwords, smart passwords. And, you know, I'm not sure the awareness is, is even now there, but, yeah. you know, the more of these vulnerabilities we see, uh, the more worrisome it is, really. But, yeah. you know, in this case, the, the main vendor, Axis, um, they did acknowledge that it's, it's an issue on 250 of their products, and they did put out a patch. So, you know, at least, you know, while some of the other vendors were still, you know, kind of giving Krebs the runaround saying we're not sure mm -hmm. it is really an issue. It just crashes our devices. It doesn't uh, leave any openings. But, um, you know, it's yeah, still in the works, I think. Yeah, with IoT security, we are seeing that accountability issue, right? Is it the device manufacturer's job to secure it? Is it the end user's job to secure it? Is it the app developer that has to secure it? You know, we're seeing all of these layers sort of being impacted here, right? So. Yeah. Today, hackers are not just, you know, sort of after the network infrastructure, if you will. They're not just attacking the application layer, you know, amongst traditional web applications. They're going after these IoT devices where security is truly at its nascent stage today. Who's responsible for IoT device security? 
So Bindu, we have this story about a Mac OS issue. I think they called it Doc, OS X Doc. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Uh, so Joe, this has been around since May, right? So what is interesting is we're using an existing variant, and now this is more you know, harmful because it's going after money. It's going after Swiss bank accounts. So what is happening here is you know, you have a malware that comes in through a phishing attachment. So the you know email is the form initial vector. User clicks on it, executes the attachment. At that point, the malware is onto the machine now. So what it does is, at that point, it stops you from communicating externally. You cannot you know really update your settings at that point. You're now infected, and then it goes to the next step of sort of going to the dark web, downloading Tor, and once Tor is downloaded, you're basically a back channel to a command and control server. From that point on, proxy takes into effect. Every time you want to go to a legitimate banking website, it's going to serve you a page that looks legitimate but is not. It'll steal your credentials as you enter them. You know, you need to be savvy to pick them out, but there's a few artifacts that you can see, an outdated uh, date on the bottom of the page and some things in the URL bar, but you know, not blatant, you know, yeah. not that, you know, you'd be... And typically, you know, once a user has executed this attachment and is clicking on a, you know, legitimate, what they think is a legitimate banking site, they're not going to go check on copyright dates. You That's know, right. yes, we are all used to sort of checking the secure, you know, function, but you don't check on all these elements, right? And uh, what was interesting about this one is it took it to a next step, right? So we are used to malware stealing, you know, user credentials, but we only usually see it at one layer, which is the web layer. What this one is doing is it's asking you to provide your phone number to validate your bank account, which right. we all would do. Once you provide the phone number, what it's doing is not validating your existing information. It's having you download a legitimate messaging application called Signal. You should really be careful when you're being prompted for your mobile device that, you know, it's, it's really, it's all about trust. Is this a trusted uh, site or service that's requesting your number? Does everything look right? Are you being prompted multiple times? I think in this case, uh, they said you were prompted twice for your mobile number. So, you know, kind of a dead giveaway that maybe this isn't somebody you want to be giving your mobile number to. Now the, there's a, you know, a, a door a back, back door. in. Yep. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. You know, you get a prompt uh, for your mobile number, mm -hmm. which is common, you know, yep. verify your account. And really what's being, what's happening is, you know, we're going to, we're going to own you for even longer and more yep. vectors. It's, it's really, yeah, there's definitely some layers here of yep. potential problems. So yeah, and the perception is Mac is definitely more secure than the Windows, you know, systems. Right. But we are seeing now that, you know, we are sort of ahead in that threat landscape where Mac is also being affected. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a shift that we're seeing where, you know, Macs used to be considered sort of the safe mm -hmm. machine now, I think, as they become more common. There's just as many. I think this one actually was a Windows. Uh, Malware originally. Right, and then they created a Mac variant, mm -hmm. so yeah. it's interesting. What, uh, what do you think for protections for anybody who's watching who wants to know? So I think, you know, going back to all our talks about the user, you know, sort of being that entry point link. So don't click on attachments that you don't know. And even if it's sort of looking legitimate, you know, think before you execute something right. like that, you know. Do you really want to sort of run? And if it's asking you for sort of validating user credentials more than once, it's not a typical behavior, then you should watch out and say, okay. And then I think now that you were pointing out about you know how corporations are using Mac as well. So what do you think we should be doing at 
Yeah, it means patching, keeping your OS versions up to date, um, just all the sort of standard practices. You know, you need to have security practices in place. You need to, you know, follow all the guidelines. But yeah, it's it's definitely one to watch out for. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting to see that hackers are not just going after larger organizations and businesses, right? They're also going after, you know, the consumer. So today, you know, when we all mobile bank and we use our, you know, app, web applications for banking, we all need to make sure that, you know, these are not things that we are, you know, going to get impacted by. You are the firewall, as we always say. Don't click on something that doesn't look right. Don't, don't execute any attachments. That that's sort of your main protection here. And until the vendor releases a patch. The security you know, threat landscape is constantly changing, where we are seeing that no longer you as an end user can be carefree and think security is somebody else's job. In general, in the stories we looked at, I think having good security practices in general, so patching, upgrading OSs, firmwares, whenever you're kind of just taking ownership of your of your tools, of your platforms. So we had Gadi Evron from Symmetria on last time to talk about deception technology, and it was such a great, engaging conversation. We decided to have him back to talk about it a little bit more and get more of his ideas about what deception technology really is and what it can be. Well, for me, I think I'd just like to summarize kind of what I learned so far is that in the olden days with honeypots, you know, it's just a technique. But I think what you're talking about is it's not just specific tools or or little nuggets, it's a whole process. When you're thinking about cyber deception, you have to think about the whole kind of, you know, how is the attacker coming into your network? What story or use case am I gonna build? So they follow into that. And you probably wanna create stories around the things that you treasure most for your network, uh, whatever it is for your enterprise. Absolutely, and that is really easy to do. It's not complex at all, but that is the second stage. Meaning if you just want to get started, and we actually give Maze Runner for free. You can download the Community Edition. And every few versions from the Enterprise Edition, we just take the entire version, remove Windows because we have licensing issues with that, and release it for free. So you can play with it. And then you start creating these stories, and they're very, very simple to build. It's not about, it's not very, as, when you describe it, I'm thinking about, let's create a full process of what do we need to do and when do we need to do it. And it's much, much simpler than that. I suggest you just download it and play with it yourself to see how simple it is. But yes, you're right with everything you said. It's kind of like the reason I started with all of this was because I was very frustrated. It's not that the, what we do doesn't matter. It's not that the controls we add or the products we add or the processes we add or the tools we create or the logs we look at don't matter. They do. And every single thing we add to our defense in depth slows down the attackers. When you read about data breaches every day, I think now, and on top of that, every single presentation you see, whether it's a CISO or a startup, quotes the Mandiat number, what is it? it used to be 250 days, I don't know what it is this year, and, and they seem to be, in this presentation, ignoring the sandwich around it, meaning, first of all, it, it doesn't just mean that it will be 250 days mean until you, they find, you find the attackers, they take thousands of days or years, right? It also means, number one, they got in, hence assume compromise, and number three, when you do find them, it's likely not going to be you. I think two-thirds of the cases last time I checked was somebody else, like the FBI, um, some vendor, Brian Krebs. So that's, what, that's frustration for me. The industry, when I still love it, I'm not bored with it, was, was overwhelming. And I went to RSA, and I saw all these vendors around me. And I said, hey, that's not witness 10 years ago, 5% better. That's Trustier 10 years ago, 5% better. I, I can't even understand what these guys are doing. And all these technologies that were useful and needed and all these billions being spent on developing them and nobody doing something inherently different. 
nobody trying to shift the, the economics of what we do, the asymmetry of what we do. And that's why cyber deception. It's more philosophical for me, if that makes sense to you. So this is fascinating stuff. Um, I can tell you really are passionate about it. From what Gotti tells us, cyber deception is not that hard to implement. I was kind of surprised to hear him say things like, even if you haven't if got a huge sock and a huge budget for security, you can still do this on a small scale. I thought that was really interesting. So he gave us a couple of tips on places we could go trying to investigate and, and tools that he would recommend us at least look into. And uh, I think I might have a weekend project out of that. Security value is one thing, enterprise value is another. We talked about lateral movement, and we talked about the stories, which essentially enable you to talk about any type of pain you might have and how you might be able to deploy a control for it with deception. But there are many other things you can do. For example, ActiveSock allows you to automatically investigate events and orchestrate um, deception accordingly. So if you imagine a SIM or a threat intelligence system or even an EDR, any security control really, let's imagine a model we can work by together, then you would have a threshold. Under that threshold, you'll have a lot of events. There will be correlations running or maybe some R-based or machine learning-based or whatever it is, correlations or other types of calculations going to reach a score. And if the event or several events reach a score high enough, then they'll go through the threshold or different thresholds and reach an analyst at an alert. We can agree to that model generally. Once we do, realize two things. Number one, there are a lot of events below the threshold that we have been ignoring, if we even save them, if, if they even reach us. And number two, you have events above the threshold which are false positives. What you can do with deception as an example is choose one of these events, let's say a login attempt, and treat it as a trigger. It could be a web uh, event, it could be a machine, it could be something on the network, but let's just choose a login attempt. A login attempt can be a user, it could be an administrator, it could be an attacker. If it's a user, that's fine. If it's an administrator, that's fine. If it's an attacker, the next thing the attacker is going to do is run Mimikatz and dump credentials for memory. So, for example, you could just essentially go and say, I see a new login attempt from a weird location. Let's go take the trigger and do a deception intervention. Leave a credential in memory on that machine. If somebody takes that credential and uses it, boom, deterministically, I just said, this is real. And I can automatically investigate many, many types of events below the threshold to provide real intelligence for them to deterministically go through the network, which also policy-wise changes a lot. If you have a greenfield network, if you have a clean lab environment and you have one login attempt out of place, that's critical. On a production environment, on a brownfield network, that's impossible. And you bring the determinism back in. And the same coin, you can also go in above the threshold and say, false qualities, how can I reduce them? So ActiveSock is very powerful for automatically investigating uh, events and alerts, pushing up the number, the intelligence you get and down the false positives. And I think that's very, very powerful in just one example use case. If we go through some of the APTs we caught, then for example, the first APT we caught, we caught, for example, APT3, the Chinese group, twice. One time at an aerospace, for example, they wanted to use it, us during incident response. They figured, hey, we have uh, APT3 here, come in, and let's deploy you, because if something interesting pops up on the network, it might wake up the attacker, so we detect them faster. And they have their tool set and what they use, and it will be really cool. Challenge is, APD3 noticed the incident response before we even got there, and they started, essentially, they laid low. And the minute that happened, we deployed, and we didn't find anything. And they continued through mediation, and they were done with the incident response, but they kept us on. And a month later, after mediation was done, they came back, and we caught them on the rebound. 
So there are many use cases for cyber deception above just that example. This ability of counterintelligence is now not just in the hands of, in the hands of countries, but also in our, our hands. It's, it's available to us, and it's useful against criminals. It's useful against many, many types of threats. Well, this has been fantastic, and you dropped a whole lot of knowledge on us in, in a very short time, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate you taking the time talking about this technology with me. You kind of you, you start thinking about what is it, what story you're trying to tell, so that the attacker who's coming into your network, they're going to follow a false path and get to fake information. And uh, the, the, the attacker is going to have a better chance of getting caught. Because really, when you're putting these honey tokens out there or these fake files, when they grab them, that's what gives you acknowledgement that, hey, the bad guys are in our network. The views expressed on AT&T Threat Track are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.